0: And I'm going to ask you to open a Bible to John chapter 17. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to bring it with you on Sundays, but but maybe the Bible's new to you. And so John is on page here in the Bible that's right there in front of you, on page 1071. John tells us the story of Jesus. Now over the last couple of weeks, we have, in our missions conference, been reminded of the power of the gospel around the world. And this morning, then, we begin a new series to look at our role in taking the gospel into the world. This is a result of some strategic evaluation that, that we told you about, that the elders did at the end of last year. You might think, well, I could have told you that this was something we should be doing because it's an emphasis of Jesus. But, but statistics show that, that three out of five churches that proclaim the gospel, that believe the gospel, of evangelical churches are either shrinking or stagnant. But we've been given good news. We have a mission. And so we're going to spend the next couple of months looking at the ministry of Jesus. We're going to do something that's a little bit unusual. Normally, you would know where we'll be next week just based on where we ended this week. We would just start in the very next verse. But what we're going to do over the next couple of months is we're going to kind of jump around in all four of the Gospels. Looking at the ministry of Jesus, as we see Jesus, the great evangelist, the one who shares good news, who announces good news, we'll see Jesus' gentleness with those that are hurting, his boldness with those that think they're already good, his love for the world. And as we see Jesus, the evangelist, we'll be empowered to share the good news. And so, so, Turn with me to John 17. I'm going to just read a section of this chapter. I'm going to begin at verse 14. And we're here on the night of Jesus' betrayal, the night of his arrest. He celebrated a last supper with his disciples, and then this prayer is the conclusion of his farewell discourse, the final things he says to his disciples. And this prayer recorded for us by John shows us the mission that Jesus has given to the church. All right, so listen as I read. This is a prayer of Jesus, Jesus' prayer to his Father in heaven. John 17, I'm going to begin at verse 14. Jesus prays, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world, any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, and they may be one; that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. This prayer of Jesus guides our prayer, and guides our ministry. And so let's bow now in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice in the hope of the gospel, the glorious good news that is announced to us that Jesus is the one who makes us holy, that Jesus is the one who gives his life. And so, Lord, let the truth of the gospel be clear to us today. May your word strengthen us, encourage us. Father, for those that are here that that don't understand the good news of Jesus, or, or maybe are hesitant to believe it, who wonder if what Jesus says could really be true. Lord, I pray that for them, they would be given today spiritual eyes to see your truth, spiritual ears to hear the gospel, that today would be a day of salvation hope. Lord, for those of us that have been sent by Jesus, give us a boldness today, an urgency this week in making the name of Jesus Christ known. Father in heaven, we pray in Jesus' name because he is our savior, our rescuer. Amen. I guess we're ready. I mean, those can be the kind of words of hope, of inspiration. Uh, uh, as, you're, as you're completing a project, as you're ready for something to happen. But you've also probably heard them or said them more like this I guess we're ready. Sort of spoken in resignation. The time has come, and ready or not, you are called to perform. Maybe a presentation at work that you've spent months planning, the, the whole future of your business hinges on this moment. Maybe it's a school project where you feel like you've, you've dragged your, your classmates along, and yet so much of your grade rests on this, and you're pretty sure you're going to bomb. I guess we're ready. Maybe you've been practicing diligently, but you just realize there's not a lot of skill on the team, and you're forced because the clock's about to start to step onto the field. I guess we're ready. In his prayer in John 17, Jesus tells his disciples they're ready. Ready to share the gospel. They are being sent into the world. They are to be witnesses in the world. They are ready for this mission. But that can't be right, can it? These disciples? I mean, right now, if you just counted them, you would know one of them is missing. And actually, in just a couple of verses, he'll make his grand appearance. He's going to come with an angry mob to betray Jesus. So this group of little faith, many of them uneducated, many of them with with limited experience, many of them who have have stumbled and fallen their way through the gospel. Jesus is now, on the night of his arrest, the day before his death, telling them, I am sending you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And you see that it's a command not merely given to the disciples, but it's a command then that is spread as Jesus' prayer broadens. And we didn't take time to kind of look at the whole context of chapter 17. But Jesus' prayer begins with his ministry. This is the night of his betrayal. He will face the cross tomorrow. And so he prays first for himself, for the mission God has given him. Then he prays for these disciples. These disciples who can't even stay awake while he prays. Remember how the other gospel, gospels give us an account of what they're doing. They're not even ready when the betrayer comes. And then Jesus' prayer expands to praying for the church, for all who would believe in the message of the disciples. And so that command in verse 18, when Jesus is telling them, when Jesus is praying, and and so we understand it, Jesus says to the Father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. John, writing from the the position of, of after the resurrection, recognizes what Jesus is doing. Jesus is sending the disciples with a mission. And the context we, we saw in verse 15 is, is that the, not that they be, they be taken out of the world, because that's what will happen to Jesus. After his resurrection, he will ascend into heaven. Jesus will not be here anymore. But his prayer is not that they, that they be pulled out of this world. What is he saying? Look at verse 15. He says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. As Christians, we are meant to be in the world, but not of the world. We are meant to be here with a mission. Jesus has sent us into the world, even knowing, verse 14, that the world will hate his disciples. As the world hated Christ, so the world will hate his disciples. And yet, even into a world of hatred, God sends his church. All right, now, kids, what's today? What are we celebrating today, March 17th? It's St. Patrick's Day, right? Right? And where's St. Patrick from? All right, you didn't, you didn't want to answer. He's from Ireland. Well, he's from Ireland like I'm from Delaware. I live in Delaware now, but I wasn't born here. See, he wasn't born in Ireland, even though we consider him the saint of Ireland. He was born in Roman Britannia, across the Irish Sea. And when he tells his story, he begins it but he kind of skips over his childhood, and he begins at 16 years old when he is captured by Irish pirates and taken to Ireland. For six years, he is a slave, forced to work on a farm, but he escapes back to his homeland. See, but for Patrick, before he was captured, Christianity was just something that he did. He went to church, but he didn't really care. He didn't really believe. But after his... Freedom. He now saw what the gospel meant. And so Patrick determined that he was going to go back to Ireland, sent back to the people who hated him with the gospel message. His goal was to convert all of Ireland. The problem was the Irish king, King Leary. He didn't want to become a Christian. He had threatened Patrick's very life. And so to even go might cost him his life. And so, yes, we say Patrick is from Ireland. That's where his grave is. That's where his mission was. And Patrick, in preaching the gospel, baptized many, including the king, who had threatened his life. See, the world may hate the message. The world may hate the messengers, but you and I are sent with the gospel. And one of the themes that we saw in the, the section of the prayer and I, and admittedly we just kind of pulled out a little piece of this prayer but one of the themes we saw is the theme of unity. We see it in verse 21 where Jesus prays that all of them that the church may be one. He repeats it again in verse 23 when he says I in them and you in me. Speaking of the unity that he has with the father being a unity That the church would have. He says, May they be brought to complete unity. And sometimes when we think about unity, we think about the ways that we just try and get along with other people. And maybe you initially think of the people that most irritate you, the ones that would be hardest to get along with. And you think, Well, what would I have to do to just get along with them? And yes, I think this passage would give us some insight into into those relationships, the ways in which, for the sake of the gospel, we would consider others better than ourselves. But, but notice when Jesus speaks about unity here in this prayer, he's doing so in terms of mission. Look, look back at verse 21. Where he prays that all of them, the church may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. Notice how that unity propels the mission. Verse 21, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. So the unity of the church is, is not merely that we get along, but that we are united in our mission, that we have been sent into the world so that the world would believe the message of the gospel. And it, it's, it's, it's repeated again, almost word for word in verse 23, which we, we already saw that, that it's, it's we've been brought to complete unity, verse 23, to let the world know that you sent me. And have loved them even as you have loved me. See, the mission of the church, the purpose of the church is not just that we get along together on Sundays, not just that we get along together when we meet together as as community groups. The goal of unity is that we are united in our mission. We have been sent into the world by Christ with good news. Even in the face of opposition and hatred, we have been sent into the world. See, we sometimes think that, that, that maybe that, that we just need to get along. Maybe we, just, we should reduce the offensive parts of, of the message. We should take away the pieces that would, that would rub people the wrong way, that they would find objectionable. See, but, but Jesus, is, as one commentator says, he's not seeking a lowest common denominator theology. Not just sort of, well, you know, what can we, what can we water this down to? To make sure we believe. No, what Jesus is doing, he's, he's calling us to a commitment to the apostolic message and mission. That Jesus is united with God. He is th- the son of God in the flesh who came to give his life. That's the message we've been given, not something that we can water down. And maybe when you, when, when you think of sharing the gospel, of being sent into the world, you're, you're hesitant to share because of, you wonder how people will respond. I mean, Won't they find this offensive? You're telling them that they're sinners, they can't save themselves. Won't they find it narrow-minded? Won't they think you are pushy, trying to, to impose your views on them? But remember, you are not of this world. You were sent with a message. Penn Gillette, you, you know him from the, the illusionist duo Penn and Teller. He's the one who talks on stage. He's also very vocal about his, his own belief system, his own worldview. He's an avowed atheist, but he speaks often on, on the topics of, of faith and belief. And he, 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 describes, um, he describes a time after a, after a show where he was signing autographs. And a man was, was waiting kind of off to the side to be one of the last in line. I think, you know, trying to, to manage that he could get maybe a couple of moments of, of Penn's attention. And he said, the man then walked up to him with a Bible and said, I want you to have this Bible. And I've written a note on the inside for you. Penn describes the man as being genuinely complimentary of the show. Seemed genuinely kind. He looked him right in the eyes. He seemed to share a genuine concern for him. And then this is what the atheist says about the encounter. I don't respect people who don't proselytize. He says, I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and hell and people could be going there and you think that it's not really worth telling them this, then I don't want to listen to you. I don't respect you if you wouldn't tell me about it. He says, an atheist who thinks people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, that's nonsense. He then pauses in this little video blog that he had put up on his website. He looks into the camera and asks those of us who believe the gospel, he asks this question, how much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them? See, our unity is a unity of mission, We have good news. We've been sent by Jesus. We speak of the mission of Jesus, his sacrifice for us, his divinity. He is the son of God who died in our place. And so this unity is only possible. This mission is only possible because of the accomplished work of Christ. We've been sent into the world, but we've been sent by Jesus. Notice how Jesus describes his own mission. Look at verse 19. He says, for them, for for my church, for my apostles, my disciples, for them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. All right, now, we have to kind of decode this a little bit because that's not the way you and I normally talk. I mean, maybe if you've grown up in church, that makes perfect sense to you upon first reading. When Jesus says, I sanctify myself, he's saying Ah, sanctification, this, to, to sanctify someone is to make them holy. And so when Jesus is speaking of himself, we can understand what, what he would do that for us, that he would make us holy, that there's a change that needs to take place in us. But when he's describing the work he does of sanctifying himself, it's, it's a description of his self-offering, his self-sacrifice for us. He gives himself that we may be made holy. You see, Jesus is offering us a solution to our problem of sin, our rebellion against God, our hatred of God. He says, I am giving myself that my church might be made holy. And this means Jesus alone is our hope of salvation. And that's why, as a church, we have to be bold in sharing this message. There's no other solution now, again, you might think, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe you're here and you don't consider yourself a Christian, or, or you do, but this part of it seems a little bit offensive. To say that Jesus is the only way, because you understand the, the converse of that means every, every other way is wrong. And so isn't it obnoxious to claim to have the only true answer? Okay, but think of, it, think of it this way. And maybe you've heard me use this analogy before. You, your child is in the hospital. You're given a terrible diagnosis of a certain death. And yet, the very next words out of the doctor's mouth, she says to you, But there is hope. Because there is a treatment 100% of the time brings complete and total healing. Now, what would you say in this roller coaster of emotions? Would you say, Well, no, thank you. You have only offered me one option to save my child. And unless I have a a menu of options from which I can choose, then I won't accept that one option. No, in that moment of desperation, what would you do? You would rejoice in the fact that there is a a way for your child to live. See, that's what the message of the gospel is. It's not that, that Jesus has taken all of these other options and then gotten rid of them. He said there was no hope at all. There was no possibility of salvation except through him and so you're offered the one hope of salvation it's not narrow minded it's not limiting it's a it's welcome news it's good news that Jesus is the one who rescues us so we've been sent by Jesus and so in those moments when we feel like well but, but I don't know what I would say I don't know how I would answer these people's questions you know I know my my coworkers hostile to christianity anytime I I've, I've, I've hinted around it or maybe it's maybe it's not even that maybe it's somebody closer to you a family member who doesn't want anything to do with this, and you just think, what will I do? What will people think of me? How will, I, how will I push through this? Remember that Jesus is the one who is at work. He is the one who, verse 17, will sanctify us by the truth. His word is truth, and so we have the privilege of announcing truth to people, of explaining to them the, the simple truth that we find in the word of God. We need to know this truth, be transformed by it, made holy by the work of Christ. And remember what Jesus is saying. He is sending us into the world, but he says he is with us. Now, he makes that explicit in in other Gospels. When we hear it in the Great Commission, that Jesus says, I am with you always. But but notice how he makes that promise here, even in this prayer. He does it by, by saying that we have been united to Christ by faith, that he is in us, look at, look at verse 23 again. Jesus in his prayer says, that he, he is praying, verse 22, that they may be one as we are one. He says, verse 23, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know. You see what he's saying? I in they. Jesus is in us. Jesus is with us. Jesus empowers us. He is the one sanctifying us. He is the one making us holy. It's his power at work. As Jesus was sent into the world, so he sends us into the world. We're not cast adrift, alone, on our own. We do this in unity with the church, with those who sit beside us, those who can encourage us, pray for us, embolden us, those whose gifts align with ours so that we can share the gospel. We can welcome people in, in unity of mission. Because we're a church, we're believers who are bold about the gospel. We've been united to Christ. And then notice the hope that Jesus offers on the success of this mission. We've been sent into the world, we've been sent by Jesus, and he's telling us that this mission will be successful. Look at verse 20. It says, my prayer is not for them, not for these disciples sleeping here. It's not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. You see, now we realize he's talking about us. All those who have heard the apostolic message and believed. But do you, do you see what's, what's contained in that prayer? The assurance that there are those who will believe. The disciples haven't opened their mouths yet. And Jesus is guaranteeing results. He is praying for all those who will believe in their message. You see, because Jesus is the one who sanctifies us, Jesus is the one who changes us, Jesus is the one who transforms us, then we can have confidence that he is with us, that he is at work in us. Because Jesus is praying for those who will believe in him. Now, that doesn't mean, I'm not saying that the next time you share the gospel with someone, that that person will fall on his or her knees and put their trust in Christ. But I'm saying that as we share the gospel, we go with boldness, knowing that God is changing people's lives, transforming their hearts, that we are messengers and God is doing sanctifying work. Because there are those to whom we proclaim this gospel who will believe. Jesus has told us this. And that should give us an encouragement, a boldness, that because Jesus is at work, we're just messengers, we're just the mouthpiece, we're just the spokespeople for this message. Jesus is the one doing the work. He prays for those who will believe in him. He's a missionary now, but on this spring break trip, Michael O was a University of Pennsylvania freshman. He had actually just that year come to faith in Christ. You've Some of you met Michael. He's preached here at Faith's Pulpit in years past as part of our missions conference. He was part of a spring break evangelism team. They combed beaches looking for spring breakers to engage in conversation. Now Michael serves as a missionary with our denomination in Japan. He was ready for this exhausting trip to end. He, he tried every day when they were being paired up together to, to go out in groups of two. He tried to make sure he got put with somebody, with an upperclassman who already had experience. He tried to get paired with somebody who was, who was outspoken and vocal so that he could just sort of hide behind them all day. That he wouldn't have to say anything, that he could just sort of drag himself through the hours of the day to survive. He says, one day I was paired with a friend, Janet. She was an upperclassman. He says, it was about time to call it a day, and I was ready to slink back to our seedy little hotel. Slink back into being inconspicuous again after a long day of being stared at and laughed at by the hundreds of people we'd spoke to. He says, I don't remember who it was, but it must have been Janet who suggested we try one more conversation. So they noticed two students sitting down near the edge of the water. They started a conversation with these international students. Caleb and Henke, they were students from Indonesia. They were studying in Canada and now in Florida for spring break. Michael says they seemed friendly, but largely uninterested in the Christian faith, even a little bit hostile to it. But they struck up enough of a relationship that later that summer, when Michael was in Toronto, he was given their address and connected with them. And it was during that visit to Canada that Caleb's heart began to open to the gospel. But it wasn't until 20 years later, when Michael received an email from a man named Caleb from Indonesia, that had this subject line, greetings from an old friend. Caleb wrote, I wonder if you'll still remember me. You shared about Christ to me on the beach in Daytona. A few months after that, you drove to Toronto with a message from God that he loves me and he wants to use me. That was the turning point of my life. That was the moment that I found faith in Jesus Christ. Michael was hesitant in sharing his faith, slow and stumbling. Today, he's the executive director of the LaSan movement, a global ministry focused on missions and evangelism. And Caleb serves as the executive pastor of a church in Indonesia with 10,000 worshipers. Jesus prayed for those who will believe in me, He knows their stories. He's at work in their lives, and he has sent us with his message. Jesus prays, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we rejoice in the hope of the gospel. We come today, Lord, to to respond by faith. Lord, I ask that those who have put their trust in Jesus would be strengthened and empowered by the hope of the gospel. Lord, we come rejoicing in the name of Jesus Christ, knowing that he gave his life for us. Lord, we're encouraged because Jesus sent us with a gospel message. And so, Father in heaven, strengthen us by the power of this gospel to make the name of Jesus known. Lord, even as we come to the table which Jesus set for us, Lord, I pray that, that those who do not yet have faith would in visible and tangible ways see the plates as they're past and be given a picture of the death of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, Father in heaven, we come rejoicing in the name of Jesus. Amen.